to the Enneagram Journey with Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and I'm going to tell you right now, I love today's episode more than a little bit. I know that's a very uh, seven response. My wife says every time I make a sandwich, I call it the best sandwich ever. Uh, Every game is the best game ever, and so on. I stand by this episode is pretty darn good. And it is with fellow Enneagram 7 and introvert Courtney Perry. The home stenographer that you'll occasionally hear in the background is her husband, Anagram 8, Tony Jones, who you may remember from previous episodes of Anagram Journey. We get a guest appearance from the Reverend. Uh, this podcast was recorded right after the crazy ice storm here in Texas. You'll hear how Courtney and Suzanne met, her experience as a photojournalist, and get introduced to yoga and the Anagram, or Yaniagram. Also, she mentioned some of her work during the aftermath of Hurricane Ike. You will be able to find some of the mentioned pictures at the link in the show notes and at theanagramjourney.org. Before we get to the episode, it's plug time. We've been busy here at the Mike Center and a lot going on. Getting very excited for workshops opening up during the summer and fall and winter. But right now, LTM's member service, The Table, is up and running. It's a library of video content and live opportunities all in one place. You'll find Suzanne and Joe's Fruits of the Spirit workshop, Enneagram teaching from Suzanne, the Enneagram godmother herself, teaching on spirituality and spiritual practices from the Reverend, contributions from Hunter Mobley, and content on parenting and the Enneagram from Joey and Billy Shuey, also upcoming teaching from Reverend Dr. Andy Stoker on mindfulness and meditation, and videos from today's guest, Courtney Perry on Yoga and the Enneagram. The service is only $15 a month. It includes free access to future virtual events and discounts on LTM products and services each month. So it, it pays for itself. Visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com backslash the table to sign up today. And we hope you'll join us at the table. Speaking of events, products, and discounts, at the end of today's episode, Courtney and Suzanne talk about getting together for a little podcast, yoga, and community. Well, we made it happen. It's happening Thursday, May 6th, right around the corner at the Micah Center. Courtney Perry and Tony Jones, Enneagram 7 and 8, they're going to sit down for a live podcast recording with Suzanne, followed by a yoga session with the Enneagram Master Courtney, then meditation and prayer with the Reverend, wrapped up with some community and brunch. You can register at the link in the show notes or find it on the LTM website. And use the promo code CNASH for $20 off registration. That's C-N-A-S-H. And finally, the Grieving the Anagram MP3 is available. Over six hours of teaching from Suzanne and Joe, hear from others on the journey, and learn about welcoming grief through welcoming prayer. It's been a long time coming, but it was worth the wait. Use the promo code T-E-J-GRIEVE for 20% off of that MP3 download through the month of May. Now, without further ado, let's get to Courtney and Suzanne. All right. Yay. I can be calm now. We are trying to understand how one can live where it's cold. This area is made for it. You know, so nobody's pipes are freezing up here, even though it's negative 11 or plus. Um, and no one's out, you know, the heat is still going like our, our infrastructure isn't hurt by it. And as long as you have the right gear, you're fine. We've had no precipitation. It's been sunny all week. So it's hitting you worse than it's hitting us. It's bad here. It's really bad. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Joel, just tell Courtney about your day. I've been home and I have electricity. We've had probably three hours of electricity in like the last 36 or so. Oh my gosh. So last night we went, it went out at about six o'clock, maybe five thirty, and then came on for about 30 minutes in the middle of the night sometime and then went back off and then came back on. So it got down to 38 degrees in the house. Oh my gosh. So the kids went to their other parents' house today and Whitney went down to her office and she was so happy. And in the last 10 minutes, she's texted that now the office is lost. Oh, Let's power no. stuff too. So, won't won't. So, you know, whatever. We live right by a fire station and pretty close to the Presbyterian Hospital. So, we think maybe that's why we're covered. But when I was trying to make Joey feel better last night, because they don't have, they didn't have any. They have some today, I think. They have some. I don't know if they still have it. And she said, We live right by a fire station. We live right by Methodist Hospital. <laughs> okay. People, though, like hundreds of thousands of people don't have it. That's heartbreaking. Joel, tell her about your little old people you found on the street that weren't your mom and dad. <laughs> These people were older than my mom and dad. And I was driving to drop off kids to their other for meetups with their other parents. So we're in Wiley, and these people are out next to the road and they've got a standalone house and uh, they're waving, waving, waving. I thought they were waving, like yelling, slow down, like too slow down. And you know, I'm going like 25 and I'm like, man, I wish these people, I just waved at them. I was like, mind your own business. Let me drive my car, live my life. You live your life. And I went like not far, maybe a 10th of a mile (laughs) at 25 miles an hour. And I was like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to be outside. waving. so I, U-turn, came back, and they had been without electricity for a couple of days, and they couldn't charge their phone, so they couldn't call anybody, and, they, and they're and crazy old. So we got, they borrowed the phone, they plugged their phone into our car, uh, and we waited with them until someone got there. So, But, yeah, I'm sure they're not the only people like that. That is a scary thing. My parents did say they, they have a landline even, but the landline wasn't working. Oh, man. So they didn't have electricity or landline, but they've, that wasn't for too long for them. But that's, that's scary to be without the power to communicate. Yeah, yeah. And it being so cold. And everybody's, not everybody, a lot of people are very angry. Yeah. And so listen, th- this is Cheryl Fullerton. <laughs> Joel's already heard this. I sent her this sweet note and said, because she just had knee replacement last week. And I said, how's your knee? And I hope you got to go to PT today. And I, I hope um, your electricity's back on. I know you expected it late yesterday. I get back, all caps, cold, period. Still no power, period. No estimate on when it'll be on, period. At PT now, period. I'm cranky, all caps, cranky. <laughs> So I'm going to leave her alone for a day or two. <laughs> oh, Cheryl. Well, we just did a podcast with a young woman whose name is Tori Hope Peterson. And she came out of the foster system and is an advocate and doing stuff for them. And they live in where? An hour and 20 minutes from Minneapolis. Yeah. I don't oh. remember the name of it. 
Arbor, Arbery or Arbor something, mm-hmm. Minnesota. Okay. Anyway, she's just fascinating. Yes. All righty. My friend. <laughs> My friend. Courtney Perry. Good grief. I like just looking at your face. So I guess I'll have to discipline myself so that we can <laughs> talk about things. <laughs> Well, this is kind of intimidating for me. I mean, you're my my teacher of many, many years and my dear friend too. Well, here's the deal though. Um, you you've you know, I'm I'm kind of known for Enneagram and, mm-hmm. but you stepped right out of my circle and did your own Enneagram and and now Joe and I are trying to get you to be our teacher. <laughs> so this podcast is all about what you're doing. Right. And what you're doing with the Enneagram and with uh, what you were doing the first time I met you. The first time we met each other, you were leading yoga and I was teaching the Enneagram and we were at a women's retreat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I distinctly remember a glance across the room during the gift exchange where we each knew that we weren't good at that. <laughs> you were at a women's retreat for grown women. And there was a gift exchange, like a white oh, elephant yeah. thing or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you bring? Oh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't have a clear recollection of that. I probably blocked it out. But I do remember being there with you and in your presence that weekend and just feeling like, wow, now I get it. Because my friend Robin had told me for years, actually, like, you have to take these classes with Suzanne Stabilio, the Enneagram. And I was like, okay. And and I was just into my own thing and working and I, I respect Robin, but I just wasn't into it. And then, but when, once I was in your presence, I was like, Hmm, I need to find out more. <laughs> it was a time that, that was a time that weekend. When I met you, I had also heard from Robin that I needed to know you and know all about you. And at that time, you were a photographer for the Dallas Morning News. Yes. And when we found out you were a seven, I thought, what a perfect job for a seven. Yes. A perfect job, right? Perfect dream job for a seven. And Joel believes he has the dream job working with his mom and dad. So let's, let's don't <laughs> bust that bubble. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, that's the aspect of my job that makes it so wonderful for me. Right. Joel and I can chat about that later. Um, I he gets need- to do the same kind of stuff. He gets to travel. He yeah. gets to do a variety of things. He doesn't get bored. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. All right. So now you. Well, the funny thing is in photojournalism, the upper echelon, the most respected photographers do long-term projects and they go deep and they, they you know, do intense and harrowing things. But I was given a few long-term projects and I must say, I mean, I never did that, that great with them. You know, my skill was being a daily shooter, which they definitely need at a newspaper needed at the time for sure. And, um, that was what gave me life. Like every day is different. I have three to four assignments all over DFW and, um, everything is different. Like I could be going from, um, meeting up with a homeless gentleman on the street and then going to a swank house party in um, the richest area of town and then running off to a fire. I mean, um, I loved it. And I loved that I could drop in deep and find meaning with people 
and they opened up to me in these deep places. Um, and I could authentically be there with them truly. And then I would jump out and I'd never have to revisit it. And I remember when you taught the course about sevens and being feeling repressed. And I was like, but wait a minute, I, I bring such feeling and depth to these people in these moments, these brief moments. And, but the key is then I drop it. Then I, I don't have to hold on to it or really get to the crux of the matter. I'm holding their space with them briefly, but I'm also doing this job. I have to take pictures and, you know, I'm doing this dance of work and I know I have to turn it in soon. And there's all this energy. So I'm uh, just wrapping up the edits on my new book and I I tried to come up with really good um, titles for the chapters. And I I don't even know at the moment I'm so taken with drop in deep and then jump out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to see if that'll fit right. I'm a, I may slide that right in. And if I can't put it there, I'm going to put it somewhere. <laughs> That's, that is seven story right there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Drop in deep and then jump out for a day, for a few hours, for mm-hmm. an evening. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's true authenticity in those moments. Sure. I, I do want people to hear that. I mean, when I was with people and they had just lost a family member and it was still fresh or they lost their home. I mean, I'm really standing there and feeling for them. I, I have empathy, but I remember you told me, well, I couldn't do that because I would just be bawling with them, mm-hmm. you know, alongside mm-hmm. with them. And I, I would get tears in my eyes, but I still could, you know, comport myself in a way that I could listen and get the job done. And uh, so that was a difference. And when you were trying to explain, well, yes, here's what it's like when you can't repress those feelings. <laughs> and there's what it looks like when you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to me to think about sometimes how fun it would be to do a job fair for people and the, the uh, different areas would be one through nine instead of, you know, because there are certainly good photographers who aren't sevens mm-hmm. who can't drop in deep and then jump out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But there are jobs that are really suited for certain numbers. I totally agree. And it's so sad to me because I love my work so much to run into people who are trapped in a job they don't love. Yes. And they have to go every day and they have to do it. And Mm -hmm. that's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hard, hard stuff. What of all of that time did you bring with you? Like as a seven, do you have just loads and loads and loads of saved photographs? Was it, I'm in this experience now and then I let it go why did you save what you saved? You know, I will always be thankful for the time that I was on a staff. And I will, you know, I went back and forth, staff, freelance, staff, freelance in my, my career. But even my freelance years working for the DMN as a freelancer, we were still at that time able to go into the building and get edits from the editors and be around one another. And it was this crazy experience of, you know, 
photojournalists are quirky people and, and you get all these people together. <laughs> and I mean, there, it was, it was a little crazy. Um, the extreme personalities and there'd be, you know, various fights, disagreements and whatever. It's, it was an interesting environment that was a little bit seemed um, what's the word just a little chaotic and maybe disruptive at the time. But after that, after leaving that, so many people have gone in different directions. Some have become teachers. Some are still freelancing. Some work at other staffs in other um, other cities. But we now are connected in a way like we lived through that together. We lived through that time together. Yep. And I love having that. And as much as I love being a freelancer now, and I never want to go back onto a staff or working for a company, I'm so thankful that I have that time, that I had that time and that I have those connections. Those remain. Do you have a favorite memory or favorite project that you did? Well, one of, I mean, there's so, so many, (laughs) but one of my favorite experiences was uh, going to photograph the aftermath of Hurricane Ike, which was not as destructive. Uh, you know, it was one of the first ones post Katrina and people were very worried, but it was, so it wasn't nearly as destructive as Katrina, um, but it still caused a lot of harm to some people. And basically they said, look, just rent a vehicle. So you don't have to take your own, get gas cans, fill them up and just go South and find something. Those were my only directions and I was thrilled. So I'm, you know, rent the car, fill up the gas cans and I just go and I look at the map and I'm looking where the hurricane hit. And I decide to go to orange Texas first and I get there in the early evening and I meet some guys who are working at a shipyard that's just covered in mud and they're going to have to be the security people all night. And I was like, well, you mind if I hang out with you all night? And um, so I'm, hanging out on the shipyard all night and I take little naps in my car. And, um, and then it was like, well, where am I going to go in the morning? And it was just, then these guys were like, well, I heard it was bad over here, you know? And so I'd get in the car, map it out, go over there. And I, you know, run into these, this couple and they were going through what was left in their house. And they found like baby teeth from their children that were in a little box and they're, they, they're crying and, but they're also happy that they found these things. And um, so it's like incredible. And then they send me somewhere else and I'm in the middle of this debris field um, that looked like something from star Wars, like you were in the trash compactor scene and it was all the, everything that had washed up from Galveston, including a horse that was on its back and deceased. I mean, like, and then I went on and on and I ended up like uh, having a meal with a shrimp boat captain on a shrimp boat and we climbed an oil derrick. I mean, it, it was beautiful in that it was random and that I met such beautiful souls. And I thought it was interesting that I kept running into people that were like it was they took an attitude of this has been so hard but you know what we're going to get through it we've been through this before we can do it again and and I have an, another photographer friend who's a different number I'm not sure which and she covered aftermath of a hurricane and just encountered heartbreak after heartbreak that that didn't have any lightness and levity to it and I wondered about my energy and what I am what I'm attracted to and what attracts me and how I potentially was naturally drawn 
to the optimism? Yeah, I, I would have been sitting in the mud crying with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, feeling what they were feeling and not able to, it's a fascinating question. I wouldn't have, I would have never thought to ask you, well, do you think it was because of the energy that you brought to that? An interesting aspect to um, like the one with the people where they found their children's baby teeth. Mm-hmm. I th- I'd, that would be a pretty fascinating Enneagram experiment of putting certain pictures up. And like, what do you see? Because Courtney, you're like, this was how wonderful it was that they found that treasure. And it mm-hmm. was slightly, it was, yes, it was gut wrenching and sad and they're crying. But I don't think a lot of people would kind of see that slight reframe there of how wonderful it is that they they still had that. Yeah. How'd you know you wanted to be a a photojournalist? I always enjoyed taking pictures. Uh, My dad would like to take credit for this. And I I think it's in, uh, it's in his blood as well. And I, but I, the first photo classes I took were in college and I used my dad's Mamiya that he got when he was serving in Vietnam, this 35 millimeter camera. So I learned on film and it was just something I enjoyed. So I worked for the paper at my university and took pictures and enjoyed it. And my degree was in communication and Spanish and I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew I enjoyed taking pictures. I also enjoyed dancing. I, I danced throughout college, started a dance group. So, I mean, I made a few different resumes. I can't remember what the third one was, but one was for photography. Another was for a dance teacher, if I was going to be a dance teacher, and then a third one. And so I looked at what do I enjoy and made these resumes. And as I always say, I follow the open doors. So I, Robin had been to a meet and greet with some alumni folks, and she gave me the business card of a community newspaper in the area where my parents lived. And I called them up and someone had just left and they interviewed me and they hired me. I mean, they would have hired anyone I found out later, but (laughs) that's okay. I mean, I basically was anyone, right? I had no real newspaper experience. I learned so, so much on the job, but I mean, by the grace of God, I was just able to get in the door at that level at a time when community newspapers were thriving. So there were, you know, 30 to 40 areas that this community newspaper organization owned. And so I got to go to all these different areas, learn, learn, learn. And that's how it began. And I just stayed there. You know, I bet you could have gotten a job at the Floyd Ada Hesperian. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I could have. <laughs> a lot of Horlet coverage. There you go. <laughs> yep. You're an introvert. Uh-huh. Quick plug for introverted sevens. You know, people think that they don't mm-hmm. exist or mean you. Yeah. I'm with two introverts who are sevens. Do you think being behind the lens made you more comfortable? Oh, yes. A thousand times, yes. Even when, even now, when I go to parties or large family functions, if I don't have the energy to be on or I don't want to be on, mm-hmm. I bring my camera so I can just hang out behind that lens and take pictures. Absolutely. Uh, so my next question is, when you're using the camera for you instead of working, do you see through it differently than you would if you set it aside? I experience it differently. Talk about that. If the camera's there, I don't have to be 
fully present in the moment in an energetic way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm feeling the moment. And, you know, when I've photographed conflict, I'm like, I'm feeling the conflict and the nervousness, but somehow I'm also not a part of it as an excuse. Almost sometimes I could use it as an excuse. If the camera is set down, sometimes I'm seeing as I would through the lens, but often it takes, I, I'm, it takes me energy to think, right? And to, to process. And when I, I'm, that's my dominant area. So I might be more processing conversation that's happening rather than visually being aware of what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, when I'm shooting, I, I can't have anyone with me. Like, you know, if, if a friend's like, oh, I want to come on a shoot with you. I'm like, please don't. I like no, no verbal input. I just need, I just need to focus on the visual. What, what are you grinning about, Joel? I just, I, I love all that. <laughs> Whitney sometimes talks about wanting to do certain things with me. Like one time we explored the idea of uh, kind of officing together and having some space together. To, I was like, that, yeah, that doesn't sound super great to me. Um, you know, this is my thing and your thing and we have our things together. You know, we talked about driving down, headed south in the car by yourself for that photo. It's like, yes. And I would not have, would not have invited anyone. You know, mm -hmm. hey, you don't want to come with me to keep me awake or do you? No, 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 no. Like, no, so the Maybe dog, that's yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, this, that's a perfect example. I love a good road trip, like solo road trip, mm -hmm. going to see friends. Yes. But just me in the car, no one else in the car. And the difference with Tony and I, he is an extrovert and he's an eight and he recently, he goes on hunting trips a lot. And he, on his last one, he was going to drive to South Dakota by himself and every prior trip, he had had someone in the car with him, usually a son or a neighbor because we're in our COVID pod. But he was wondering, like, should I invite someone? Should I invite someone? I mean, he, he couldn't stand the idea of five hours in a car with no one to talk to. And when he is driving and he's alone, he, he loves to call people on the phone. Me, I cannot stand talking on the phone in the car because of the heart, it's hard to hear. It's just annoying. I, <laughs> so those are some very clear extrovert introvert differences, uh, even though we're both aggressive in our stance. So what do you think that has to do with sevenness? You think any of that is involved you two? Well, maybe the, the whole imagination part. I mean, that's where my mind is going. I'm listening to podcasts or I'm listening to music and I'm imagining things. For me also, the conversation is, what do you want to listen to, Joel? Well, I don't know, Joel. What do you want to listen to? And you're not, I'm not answering to, you know, it is independent. I don't want to pull off. And no one's here to tell me that we have to pull off at this gas station or shop or mm -hmm. that we need to, yes. like, yes. I am in control of my own trip. And yes. uh, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but part of the rules of being in relationship with others is you have to take them into consideration when you're on a trip with them mm -hmm. and do things that you don't want to do sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> so I think, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the sevenness. I think that's the sevenness. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, the word spontaneous is used with sevens, but yeah, we're spontaneous if it's what we want to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if someone else spontaneously suggests something that we don't want to do. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've said that in the past, like about surprises. Like I don't, I don't want a surprise. I mean, I, mean, I might like it, but I might not. And then what do yeah. we do? I don't know if Tony told you about the surprise birthday party he planned for me. I don't know if that was in his episode or not, but it was for my 40th and he accidentally sent me the email in the list of like all the people. And so I showed him and he was just like, oh, beating himself up, couldn't believe it. And I was like, no, 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 this is great. Now there are a few people you forgot. So why don't you add these people? Also, I'm going to make a playlist because I really love music and it's important to me and we're going to have the playlist and this is so great. And I let him know like this, what I enjoy is this anticipation and I would not enjoy it as much if I were put on the spot and all of a sudden it's like, here we go. If I was expecting like a family dinner at his mom's house, which is where we had it. If I had showed up and suddenly there was a party, I had been prepared for and anticipating a family dinner. And then to suddenly have a party, it would have been fine. I would have rolled with it. But the preference is the anticipation, the joyful anticipation. So he'll never do that again, he said. (laughs) Okay, now see if you two can do this. How much of that sevenness and how much of that is introvert? Hmm. That's a good question. I think all the secondary things that Courtney said is sevenness. I don't think that's being introvert. Anticipation is sevenness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Y'all like to anticipate so much that it's like it it wouldn't have happened. What you anticipated would not have happened, which would be a disappointment since when you anticipate things, do you kind of make up what's going to happen? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Plan expectations. We talk about expectations being resentment waiting to happen. If you, if your expectations aren't met, do you resent that? Rarely. Yeah, I would say not. I bet the party, you know, that wasn't a surprise party anymore, but you knew about. I bet apples to apples, possibly you would have enjoyed that more than the time just a quiet dinner, just a family. Mm-hmm. Let's just assume that that's true for a human being. I would have already made something that I was going to be happy about, about the dinner. I was going to get time with my nephew, mm-hmm. me, and I was going to get to watch the football game kind of quietly with my brothers-in-law. Mm-hmm. So, so then I'd have those expectations I'm happy about it. I'm happy about what I think is going to happen. Then I get there and I would resent not getting, I'd be so grateful for this surprise, but I would resent not getting to have that experience that I've been getting myself hyped up for the whole time. So not resentful at the person, but resentful that I didn't get to have that experience. Resentment having to do with what happened instead of with whom or who or all, all of that that goes on about that. What do you what do you think is the best part of being a seven in your forties, and what is the worst? Wow. Gosh. Okay. The best part of being a seven now is that I have lived through tragedy and despair, and I'm 
so my seven optimism does have a groundedness and a humility about it. At the same time, I, th I think the, the good thing about being a seven my whole life has been a natural inclination toward optimism. I think that does and has served me well. And I talk about, you know, following the open doors in life, moving toward what is, seems to be moving toward me. And I've, it has served me well. I feel like I, in some ways, I shouldn't have been on staff at the Dallas Morning News. You know, I didn't go to school for photojournalism. I didn't do internships. Like I didn't follow the traditional road and yet I ended up there. And there were many times I was like, I am amongst greatness here. And, um, and I'm not on that level, <laughs> but here I am. And isn't that wonderful? What is the worst part can be, I think, when I, when I drop to one in a bad place, I really dislike myself there, first of all, because I don't recognize myself because I'm so critical, harshly critical, both towards others and to myself greatly toward myself. And what I, the word and the concept that I'm really carrying with me this year is compassion for myself. Because I don't, I never ever imagined, like I want to be out in front of people teaching them things. Like my whole first half of my career has been behind a camera, putting my work forward. And that's been just great. I've never had a desire to be seen. And yet the work that I feel called to do right now has me in that position. So I'm having to work on that critical part of myself, which is a good thing. I'm fascinated by that. Um, Joel, I'd love to hear your response before I respond to that. Well, as someone not in their 40s. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I can so relate to the low side of one. They talked everything that you said about seeing yourself because it is almost even while it's happening an out of body experience that I can see my, see the things that I'm saying to myself, see the way that I'm reacting towards typically my family around me, my wife, mm -hmm. my kids mm -hmm. see that it's happening and it's hard to stop. It's not, it's hard to take that breath even when I do catch it, it's a long, slow to reverse it yeah. and to get out of that space. And sometimes it, for instance, with, with Whitney, she's learned about me that sometimes it just takes time. There's no, she knows just to give me space. She knows when to say something and when I'm getting myself out of it and letting it walk its way back. Yeah. But it's still hard to see. It's easy to see. It's hard to be a part of yes so that's very interesting to me to hear the two of you talk about that because it suggests that awareness is step one what is step two you know we teach in enneagram work a, a, a lot about awareness you just need to be aware you need to observe yourself you need to do all of that and it it just occurred to me I don't think I've ever said, and, and then you should do this. 
It's like, if you can be non-judgmental, which y'all are not talking about, but the teaching I've done is if you can, if you can practice non-judgmental awareness, that is the place from which you can grow. And y'all are both talking about very judgmental awareness, Mm -hmm. but it's when you're in one. Mm -hmm. So are you aware on that deeper level when you're not in one? That's a question. And the other question is, so what's the next step when you are in one and you're aware that you're being really hard on yourself and all that? Honestly, I feel like the low side of seven is more just me being scattered. So it's not necessarily affecting other people a lot. It's affecting me maybe. And it just doesn't feel or look as bad as when I go to one. Mm-hmm. And as far as what the next step is, you know, David Daniels and Helen Palmer had the five A's which I'm not going to be able to remember all five of them right now, but I did them in a video recently, but I remember the second one was acceptance. So be aware and then accept. And I think that is a really hard part when you're in that judgmental place, you see it. Can you accept that you are still lovable and good in that moment? And I'm with Joel. A lot of times time is the only answer. But I will say, recently, I was working on my website, encountering some real some technical issues that were driving me crazy. And I was very, very angry, and not only angry at the technology, but me, why can't I understand this? What's going on? And then what is my personal vision? Anyway, what am I doing with what am I even thinking, you know, is going down that road? And I wanted to stay home and figure out the problem, like the main problem I had and find the solution. But I had to go teach yoga, which was like, great. (laughs) Now I have to go be all Zen and like pretend like I am fine. But that was what I had to do. So I went and, you know, it involves greeting people and engaging with people. We all had masks on, you know, um, and we're distanced, but there's, the element of social engagement, forced social engagement with people whom I'm not super close to. So I, there's, you have to maintain the social graces. And then when I taught the class, I, I do the class myself physically. And I really kind of pushed them hard that night. And I was work, I told them, I'm like, I'm working out my own frustration here. <laughs> if this is not what you need, take it slower. And then by the end, I really did feel better. But the key, and I learned that, I mean, I needed that physical outlet and social outlet, but would I have chosen it if I was given the choice? And the answer that evening was no, I wouldn't have, but I was forced to. So maybe now I know, and in the future, there might be more hope for me to make the right choice. At the beginning there, you talked about just the low side of seven and being scattered. We were talking with a wonderful group of people yesterday um, on a Zoom call. And I was saying that my understanding and my um, experience with the Enneagram is for me, the move is lateral. What if I'm in, if it's a moment of me being in real healthy space, then I can just choose to grab some one tools mm-hmm. right then. And if I'm an average, same deal, I can make that choice 
but then when the more scattered I get and the more without direction I go mm-hmm. further into seven, then that's the lower I go over to one. Mm-hmm. And I think it is though what you said about you didn't know that you needed to have that yoga experience, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit about that being a spiritual tool and a practice. And mine is quietness and not like the practice of not doing something. Mm -hmm. I can't, whenever there's too many things for me to do, the going to the low side of one for me is picking one thing and just bearing down and just going one all over it, no matter what it is. And, and if I'm really low, it's not even the thing that I need to be doing. Oh, yeah. It's it's something that I'm making the scapegoat of my energy. Mm-hmm. But the, the tool is to stop is to slow down for me, not to, uh, I, I feel like I haven't plugged prayer beads or centering prayer in a long time. But I think the bigger piece is preventative exercises and practice. So when I hit that excess of seven and then make that move, it's because I have not been taking care of myself emotionally, spiritually, physically to get to that, whatever level that is. And so then it's probably going to be, you know, what's the saying 40 days into the forest, it's going to be 40 days back out. Then it's going to take that much time. Whereas that time that I was talking about of needing space is shorter and shorter because I'm in a better emotional and psychological state because I've been doing some sort of ongoing practice of self-care. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about yoga. So here's one of the things in life that I do not understand. I just don't get it. And that is, I don't get how yoga can be threatening to people, especially Christians. What? is that about do you even know have you given up do you not care anymore do you like i i don't get it yeah i mean thankfully it's not something i've had to face or deal with head on but i see it and i will say i mean i'm reading um a document called the history of modern yoga that uh our friend cheryl gave to me it's an academic paper Because basically what, you know, just like the Enneagram is this ancient symbol and what we teach is the modern psychology of the Enneagram and not the original, whatever it was, the yoga that I teach is modern yoga, which is the physical movement of the body in a Western world, in a Western way. It is not the the yoga, the eight limbs of yoga. I mean, there were cleansing rituals and, you know, all, it was a lifestyle, a way of being and, um, tied to Hinduism in many ways. And I guess that's what Christians feel like, oh, it's tied to Hinduism. So it must be bad. But uh, if not Christians, but maybe um, extreme, I don't, I don't, I'm going to just dig a hole here. But um, some people, I guess, are fearful of things they don't understand. And the yoga that I teach is simply physical movement based on a breath, a breathing practice to enhance our mind, our body, our spirit. That's it. I am sad that fear negates opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are afraid of the Enneagram because they don't know anything about it. 
And people are, some people are afraid of yoga because they don't know anything about it. And they have, then when you go, um, it occurred to me about two years ago that when I Google something, I'm looking for something. Mm. I'm not looking for 10 articles to read. I'm looking for a thing. And if you Google the Enneagram and you're looking for it being, uh, you know, all, all the things that people look for that's negative, then you can find it. And the same is true for yoga. And I, I don't understand it about either one of them, but I would say it's easier for me to understand it about the Enneagram than it is for me <laughs> to understand about yoga. I just don't get it. We're, we're talking about some Christians and folks believing that yoga is bad. To give listeners some... Uh understanding and space of what's happening right now. I'm at the Micah center. Suzanne is at her home and then Courtney is at her home. So, and this is happening via zoom and we've, we've called in the Reverend to give us the definition of a spiritual practice. Because sadly, Joel and I have heard it. One. Oh my gosh. I've, I'm sorry. <laughs> I owe you an apology for not knowing it. And now we share it again and not for the last time. Does this mean I get to do a cameo? Yeah, performance. Yeah, yes, yes. Cameo what this performance is. on one of your podcasts. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and it's a good one because it's with Courtney. Yes. And this isn't a cameo. This is more of like a Dr. Sanjay Gupta role. You know, oh. you're a yeah, spiritual correspondent. Well, is an expert. Yeah. yeah. Um, a contemplative practice, a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline. You could use any of those titles to broaden it away from just what most people would consider classical spiritual practices like prayer and meditation and fasting and those kinds of things. So here's the greatest definition. It, it comes from uh, James Finley. Any act habitually entered into with your whole heart that awakens, deepens, and sustains within you a contemplative experience of the inherent holiness of the present moment. So that, that totally broadens it. It's any act could be baking bread. It could be gardening. It could be doing yoga. It could be photography, photography. It could be almost anything, mm -hmm. any act habitually entered into that you go back to over and over with your whole heart. I mean, you're wholehearted about it that awakens, deepens and sustains within you a contemplative experience, an experience of the holy mm -hmm. in this present moment. When you're doing that act, you experience the nearness and the presence and the closeness of God to you in doing those acts. That's beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Thank y'all for letting Thank me you. be here. <laughs> Want to sing? No, no, we'll, no. We'll get some sort of theme music or a sounder for future uh, <laughs> times that this happens. When the Reverend he pops in. has on a shirt, a sweatshirt that he got at, we got at Wyzetta, Wyzetta. Yeah. 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 He's all, he's all into the Minnesota thing today. Nice. Love it. Well, it is cold right now. We were experiencing cold together. You know, I love that because it also speaks to the fact that anyone can do yoga, but that doesn't mean they're doing a spiritual practice. Right. 
and and I teach at a gym and there's plenty of people and I can see for whom it is a spiritual practice and for whom it is exercise. I can tell. Yeah. Do you think it's because that's how it was taught to them? Do you think it has to do with Enneagram number? Do you think it has to do with spiritual development? Yeah. Like I bet there are going to be people that listen to this podcast and listen to the last five minutes who have enjoyed yoga and enjoyed doing yoga. Do you do yoga? First of all, is that the right verb? All right. (laughs) That enjoyed doing yoga that didn't know that it could be a spiritual practice and that Mm -hmm. are saying, oh my goodness, yes. Or much like Enneagram speak, they didn't have the words that it's a spiritual practice. They knew what it was doing inside of them and knew that it moved them in whatever way, but they just didn't have the right words from Again, for people who are listening, you can pause it and re-listen to it. You don't have to email James Finley. Uh, re-listen to it, rewind. They didn't know, have that description. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think people feel like they are not connected to anything bigger than they are. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. And people struggle with who God is and who they are and if they believe in God and if they don't and what to do with all of that. And when Joe says that, then anything that you enter into with your whole heart on a regular basis gets to be kind of this healing thing that you do that is other mm-hmm. than going to work, doing chores, you know, all parenting, all the stuff it has to do with life. I want to talk about Yenneagram. <laughs> well, actually, I want you to. And I want you to talk about your subscription service. And I want us to talk about the fact that Joe and I uh, have decided finally at 70 and 73 that yoga is for us. Yes. But uh, I don't know if we would have decided that if we didn't know Courtney Perry. (laughs) Seems like we would not have. (laughs) I feel like we would not have just shown up at some yoga class somewhere. Yeah. It's going to be intimidating here. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I mean, honestly, the reason that I fused yoga and the Enneagram is because, you know, after years of taking classes with you, I finally in 2018 uh, did the cohort and which was such an incredible and life-changing experience. And the people who are in that are still my friends to this day. We still communicate. Some of us have monthly Zooms. I mean, it's, it's fed my soul for years. It was during that year in 2018 where I was like, you know, I, I never wanted to step into the realm of teaching the Enneagram because Suzanne's my teacher and, oh my gosh, I can't be Suzanne. Well, of course, no one can (laughs) and no one should be. No one should even try. (laughs) If you're going to try, don't just give up. But um, what you can be though is what you were created to be. And so I looked at what do I have to bring to the table to use your words and movement has been such a part an important part of my life. And if I look back at dance growing up, dance offered me a way to express my emotions and get in touch with my emotions in a physical way that I could not with my words. And once I got into yoga, it was a continuation of that connection that I didn't have a deep connection. I didn't have words for. And so it, it was, it's always been a spiritual practice for me. And I also realized there are, there, so there's emotions I can get in touch with. 
that I'm not otherwise able to when I'm using my body. And we're in, when we're teaching or learning the Enneagram and we're in a room, we're very much, we're engaging our intellect and it does touch our hearts and our guts for sure. But sometimes there are things hidden in our bodies that aren't, that are hesitant to surface or that have difficulty surfacing that might not open, that we might not open ourselves up to in any other way unless we're moving our bodies. I will share an example. I was taking a yoga class um, during some of the hardest years of my life after I moved up here. And I was in this position where I'll t- I mean, I'm laying on the floor and my heart is open, but I'm also in a back bend. And the, the teacher, beautiful, soulful teacher, I mean, I love her so much. She came over and she was talking about how important it is to open the heart and how vulnerable it is to open the heart. And I had really been in this place of fear and constriction and protecting myself. And she came over and she pressed my shoulders down to open my heart. And I just wept. And that doesn't happen for me. I mean, that's like the only time it's ever happened. And um, I know how important that is in connection to the knowledge of the Enneagram, how powerful it can be when you merge those things together. I'm aware as a seven, I repress feeling and that floodgate was opened in that physical moment for me. And I need physical release. I need to cry. You know, I need to access those moments. And if it took moving my body in a way to get there, that that's great. That's, that's an answer. It's not the answer, but it's an answer sometimes. That story is evident evidence that it brought up feelings for you and Suzanne teaches how, and the Enneagram is all about the three centers of intelligence, thinking, feeling, and doing and what is lacking and what is overly (laughs) strong. Um, That yoga for each stance can help to bring up their repressed center for four, fives and nines. It seems like it's obvious that if you're doing it, then there's some doing brought up, but I'm sure there's some secondary level to that and bringing up thinking for ones, twos and sixes. Well, in fact, just this morning I recorded a class upstairs and I focused on how, whether you're in the head, apart from stances, but just triads. So we're head, heart and gut. You, the head people, we're prone to rumination the heart people might be prone to the shame spiral and then the instinct gut people might be prone to frenetic doing when we're in our bad places. So whether we're off our rocker and any of those three, we're energetically, we're all the hamster on the wheel spinning and not, not getting, doing things productively, feeling or thinking productively. So I did a practice that was completely grounded, never stood on our feet. I was just, um, connected to the earth in a, and building strength in the core and sh- just strength in general, but strength in the core. And so the connection of imagining yourself touching the earth, the foundation beneath you, imagining tree roots growing down and feeling the stability to calm and center you while also building the strength of your core. Like the idea is we do this practice and maybe you feel a, a bit more grounded, a bit less frenetic in your head, your heart, or your body, in your thinking, your feeling, or your doing. So, you know, yoga with Enneagram work, as you said, that habitual practice, it's a long-term practice. There's not, I don't teach 
yoga and the Enneagram, bam, here it is tied up in a bow and you're done. It's sometimes I'm teaching the Enneagram, the wisdom of the Enneagram and it's verbal course. And I do use yoga poses to represent each number. And we get into those and we feel what it might feel like in our body. And we talk about that, but the majority of a, an introduction to the Enneagram course that I teach is verbal because it's just a lot of information. And then the yoga is this practice that can enhance and still engage us in the wisdom on a physical level, but also mental and heart as, as we're, you know, okay, let's, let's take this knowledge we have and wonder at how it might affect our bodies or how it might come up in our bodies. But the, the yoga part is a steady rhythm. Like you, it's not, um, not a one and done thing. Or a six week course or no, <laughs> no, 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 none of that. It's like the Enneagram. There's not a shortcut. No. Oh is there God. any one and done spiritual practice? I mean, <laughs> That goes against the definition from James Finley. Five years ago, you know, I had big time back surgery and I'm absolutely sure that my tunis is connected to my spine, not being able to manage everything that I've carried. And I'm, I, I tell you, you two, aging is a thing. It's a thing. And it's a thing that we don't talk about. And it's a thing that my parents really didn't really talk about. And now culturally, uh, it's even a thing that we try to s- sidestep by doing all of these external things that keep us from looking our age and aging in the way we do. And You know, I don't have a lot of judgment about that. I think people need to do what they need to do. But having said that, I'm, I'm a much different person at 70 than I was at 60, than I was at 50 or 40. I'm realizing in myself that I've kind of pretended that doing was offloading for me in trying to balance thinking, feeling, and doing. That doing was fixing or handling something or working hard to make it work. But until you, and it, you know, it, it had to be you. <laughs> it had to be you. <laughs> but it, for me, it did have to be you because I've got, you know, all kinds of reasons to disconnect from my body. So it had to be somebody that I feel like I can be totally vulnerable with and somebody that I trust and have trusted for years for me to even get to the place of thinking and feeling about doing something for myself mm-hmm. and for my own well-being. And I believe that what you're bringing to the table for all of us in part is going to be a whole new understanding of doing we're not talking about getting the chores done. We're not talking about doing the mundane things that uh, fours don't want to do. We're not talking about uh, doing the day-to-day things that nines don't like to do. That's not what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Enneagram, as I have taught it, has been limited to 
because of my own disconnection from my own body. So I think as Joe and I try to start to learn and change and grow in relationship to yoga and Yenneagram, I think that what, what I will end up with is a, an additional teaching about what it means to balance with doing. And that made me think that it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't just help to think more when you bring up thinking. We've used the language all along that it has to be productive thinking, mm-hmm. right? And I, I don't know, productive doing was limited in my teaching to what needs to be done, which could cover the things that you're talking about, but actually doesn't. <laughs> Like I could slide in under that and say, well, of course, that's on the list of what needs to be done. But that's not my thinking about that until the last month. Right. And the list of what needs to be done for you, taking care of yourself is not going to be on the top of that list. Or the fifth thing or the tenth. Yeah. I have just read this book called When the Body Says No, by written by a physician it's a tricky book to write because he's, he has a big introduction where he's like, look, I'm not blaming people for the diseases that they have. uh, But let's look at what, in addition to genes, like it's stress that causes disease, stress that makes it pop up. Right. And he looked at various diseases and kind of the typical personalities of people that have these diseases. So it's again, a tricky book and I'm not going to talk about any specifics, but in general, what I took away from it was any of us in our numbers, if we are in excess, we are contributing to the potential unhealth of our own bodies, minds, spirits, et cetera, in a physical way, a physical way. And if we don't work to balance ourselves, we are more prone to disease. That's what I took away from this book, which was big. Yeah. Again, I'm, um, this should not be looked at in a post fact way, but in a, like, how am I going to prepare myself for better health? Mm-hmm. And my physical health is connected to my spiritual health. This mm-hmm. also goes both ways for those people who do not have a spiritual life. Mm-hmm. It does affect the stress that people experience because they have nowhere to offload stress. And that is also a factor that can lead to um, the setting off of a flare up or something. So it's that balance. Yep. These centers of intelligence are just so important. And it, it, I was fascinated when I first started reading about them, I don't know, 25 years ago, maybe, because they kept saying, everybody agrees that these are the, these are the three. All, all disciplines believe that these are the three. These are the three. And I haven't found any others. So they kind of all three have to be important. It's, it's just not okay to be okay with using two of the three mm-hmm. your whole life. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to say it's also very shallow to have limited thinking and processing of what each of those things means. I was just going to say my dentist the last time I went, we were talking about something. I said, well, oh yeah, we don't have dental insurance right now because you know, it's a separate thing. And she was just like, I'm so sick of the mouth being treated like it's not connected to the body. (laughs) 
I was like, that's so true. I was like, do you ever think that just medical insurance will incorporate dental? She's like, I don't know, not in my lifetime, but it should, you know, but it made me think about this in a new way. Of course, like it's the idea that these three systems that are interconnected are somehow separate and they're not. And I will say though, that um, there is a, a strong element of doing in, in spiritual practice. Yeah. So I, I would just like to honor you for that. You have consistently in your teaching, that's always a part of it. And um, so I, I don't feel like you have ignored doing and um, you have been very open about the trauma you've experienced in your life. And it does not surprise me at all that you would be loath to get in touch with how that feels in your body. And that is something I have not experienced trauma and I would never say that I know how to speak to that. What I, what I do and strive to create is a safe environment for people to explore the movement and what comes up in their own bodies. But I definitely think that people who have undergone um, extreme experiences would need therapy. You know, sometimes things come up in your body in a yoga class and you need to talk to a therapist. Like I don't have the tools for that. I just want to say that. All right. Tell everybody about Yenneagram. Tell them about your subscription service. Yenneagram.com. The name started out as a joke. My eight husband, when I was like, I want to, you know, do yoga and the Enneagram. I was like, why not Yenneagram? And I laughed and said, that's terrible. And then I thought, <laughs> the more I sat with it, I was like, well, the URL won't be taken. Like all the social <laughs> media will be open. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I like it so much. <laughs> so that's what it is the word Enneagram prefaced with a Y.com. And um, I do offer subscription services, monthly offerings, either just yoga once a week, or I have also recorded videos with friends who know their numbers and we do yoga together. And the idea is the viewer would do the yoga with us. And then you can stick around for a conversation similar to this, but much, much shorter, a little conversation about how they experience the number in their body or in their life. And then the third level, just being more interaction. If you have a personal need, like there's one woman who said, I'm new to yoga and I would love to work with you on creating a practice. And so that the third level is more of a, an interaction with me and also potentially in the future, a group of people in classes together. And, you know, I hesitated doing online stuff for a while because my preference is much more to do things in person. As you know, it's like teaching is so much richer in person, but this is where we are right now. And um, so the idea is to, you can get to know me online, but Hey, I do hope there's a day in the future we can meet outdoors um, or maybe in a room someday and have some yoga and Enneagram classes. No, it sounds so good. Mm -hmm. So good. And in a friend, but not motherly way, I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. I mean, everything I know I learned from you. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> so you brought you all your own goodness to Direct the table. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think the Enneagram is all about who you are and who you can be. I think there's a better way of knowing ourselves holistically that includes uh, acceptance of our bodies. You know, Joel's wife, Whitney, is a therapist and an eating disorder specialist, and that's been such a gift for me. Um, 
She's given me a lot of space to feel good about me and my body. And, you know, it's kind of a modern thing. This, this whole idea of the growth of yoga and the growth of the Enneagram and the growth of interest in Buddhism and the growth of, I, I, I just can't see any of it putting anything but more goodness in the world. I agree. I'm hopeful about all that. Okay. I, I want to ask you one more thing. And the one more thing is how about doing a little myth buster, a yoga myth buster? Uh, I'd say number one myth that you can be bad at yoga because it's a practice. And if you're doing yoga, if you're breathing and you're moving your body, you are successfully doing yoga and you're not bad at it. Myth, I think in this country, in the USA is that yoga is for women. And in fact, traditionally in ancient yoga, uh, ancient India, um, only men practiced yoga. Women were not allowed to. Uh, And thankfully we're past that and the alternate is also not true. It is for people of many genders and, uh, and all abilities. There is a gentleman in Minneapolis who is in a wheelchair and he has a yoga studio, teaches yoga and is incredible to all bodies. You know, he's not teaching only to people who look like him. He's teaching to everybody. Mm-hmm. So yoga is for every gender and every body. Love that. Similar myth about the Enneagram based on our demographic and statistics. It's for men too. It's only for women. Enneagram's for men too. Um, All right. Uh, Anything else you want to say? You know, I will say what I'm learning these days about myself as a seven physically for connecting this to the body is that for years in those photojournalism days when it was like, new assignment, things are going, you know, this is where you have to go, get the picture. I I feel like for many years, I mistook anxiety for excitement. And I am learning, I feel this in my stomach and I'm learning to differentiate between anxiety and excitement in my stomach. And I am trying to feel less anxiety to, to counter that when I notice that that's what it is. I know it's always going to creep up. It's in my triad and as here, but I think a lot of sevens don't recognize it either by choice or, um, or that mistaken identity. I love you. I love being friends with you. Um, I wish you abundance and goodness. And I hope everybody who listens to the Enneagram journey is going to think, I want to do that. And as we've talked about before, sometimes that's an older set. You know, my audience has uh, dropped in age in the last four years by about 40 years. (laughs) So, um, yeah, maybe we'll start a a class. Um, um, Enneagram Journey podcast, Yenneagram class. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. All right. Well, I love you so much too. And I'm so thankful, not only for who you are and that you're a friend, but that I got to learn the Enneagram from someone who's feeling dominant. I think that was very important for me. And 
I think that our continued friendship, as well as listening to your podcast, continues to help me uh, grow that repressed center that I have. So thank you. See you soon. All right. But not soon enough.